This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome from the Fort Plain Museum, Mr. Brian Mack. How you doing, Brian? Good. How are you, Bob? Okay. The Fort Plain Museum Great. has been very active lately, and we want to talk with uh, Brian Mack about that. Also talk with him about the main point of the Fort Plain Museum, which focuses on the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley. You're just concluding a speaking uh, program at the fort. I'm happy to say I was uh, one of the speakers. Uh, who were uh, some of the other folks that you've had? Yes, um, we had uh, John Proud. Uh, he started things off on September 10th. Um, he spoke on, he's a horn worker. He builds powder horns and he makes other items out of horns. And so he gave a nice presentation. And his presentation was based on uh, Rufus Grider, who he was a he was a drawer or an artist in the late 1800s, and he came actually came from Pennsylvania and settled in Canajoharie, New York. And he actually drew like a lot of the buildings that were there and that weren't there. And he was kind of going off uh, people's firsthand accounts or you know like passed down through uh, generations. And he was able to like recreate uh, historic buildings that may have no longer stood, or buildings that were maybe in despair and getting ready to fall down. It really. Uh, documented everything well, and he also did powder horns as well. Which um, powder horns are usually carved like you know soldiers during the French. It really started in the French and Indian War. Uh, soldiers would carve like maybe uh, flowers, animals, uh, forts, um, maybe like a map of the area they uh, served in. And so these powder horns are really like really nice pieces of art. You know, not, not you know their main focus, their main purpose was to keep powder dry which it did, but then they also became a piece of art. And so he actually documented these with drawings. And so that's what John talked about. Um, um, now, in fact, I, before we leave that, I, I've always enjoyed Rufus Grider. I'm, a hit, one of his drawings is on the cover of my uh, first history book, uh, Stories from the Mohawk Valley, showing the painted rocks at Amsterdam. Yes. In a way, I've, I've, I've always thought that uh, Rufus Grider was like uh, a documentary filmmaker, like my old colleague Steve Dunn. They used to call his uh, documentaries things that aren't there anymore. I mean, that's what Rufus Grider would do. He'd draw a painting of something that wasn't there anymore, but he had talked to people and was able to recreate it. Yes, yeah, and that's your, that's a great way of putting it. Um, yeah, a lot of his drawings, that, I know New York State Museum, uh, New York State Library, which is down by the New York State Museum, they have a collection of them, and I think the Powderhorn collection is actually in the New York Public Library, which is down in New York City, and actually like the Van Allison Homestead, they have a nice collection of Rufus Riders um, up in there. Uh, they got a nice display up in their second floor, so if you ever get a chance to go out there, uh, they, they have a really nice collection of them. Uh, we have a couple original Griders, and we also have some of his scrapbooks and stuff like that. So yeah, and the like you said, it's... It's wonderful what he did. And the powder horns I've heard compared to the way uh, American GIs in World War II used to decorate their war planes. You know, it was, you know, mm -hmm. it was a, the machine of war, but they kind of personalized it. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, yeah, that's another great way of putting that with the powder horns. Yeah. So who else was speaking uh, speaking in your programs? Yes, on uh, September seventeenth, uh, we had uh, Wayne Lenning. He's a board member. Uh, he and his wife, Charlene, um, actually gave a presentation on pottery, redware pottery, and it was, you know, colonial uh, uh, 18th century, well, probably even went, uh, later than that, 
Um, it, it would have been like plates and, you know, anything made of clay, and then they would have been decorated and, and stuff like that. And so he gave a nice presentation on that. And then he and his wife also gave a class where uh, 16 people were able to uh, sign up and partake in actually decorating a piece of their own redware pottery, which, you know, they were able to take home. Hmm. Very good. And I don't know, do you want to round out the others that uh, were speakers? Yes, yeah, I'll finish, I'll round it up. On uh, September 24th, uh, we had uh, Alan Foote. He actually, uh, he's, an, he's an author. He wrote a book called Liberty March. It's about the Battle of Riskany. It was published in the late 90s. And he's done other stuff, too, uh, other, like, booklets um, and other stories based on, like, the, especially the Riskany area. And he actually created a game called the Siege of Fort Stanwix. And it's pretty much a two-person player game. And it's pretty much it goes through the battle, and there's all different scenarios. So he gave a nice presentation on the siege itself of Fort Stanwix, which happened during the time of Battle of Riskany in August of 1777. And that's when St. Ledger came down uh, through the St. Uh, Lawrence. He came, came down to Fort Stanwix. They lay siege on the fort for a while. And pretty much that's what the game is based off. And they call Fort Stanwix the fort that would never surrender, as eventually uh, St. Ledger would um, retreat and head back to Canada. And, you know, the fort stood its ground until about 1780 when it was flooded out and then Fort Plain took over as kind of like the, the supply depot of the Mohawk Valley. Mm. But anyhow, yeah, so he gave a talk on the siege, and then he also demonstrated gameplay, and then... Attendees were able to participate and actually play the game, and then the game was for sale where people could buy it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, go ahead. And then our uh, our next speaker was uh, yourself, October first. You you were there with your new book, Lost Mohawk Valley, which mm -hmm. you know, everybody enjoyed, and and so we you know everybody's we look forward and glad we can carry it in our in our gift shop. Mm -hmm. And then also on October eighth, we had. Phil Weaver, he, he spoke on uh, the 2nd New York Regiment, which was a regiment that was involved in uh, the Battle of Quebec during the 1775 campaign when, when America was going to try to make uh, Canada the so-called 14th Colony, which, which they did not succeed, and which General Montgomery actually died in that, which Montgomery County is named after. And so the 2nd New York Regiment, a lot of their members were made up of people right from the Mohawk Valley, especially the Palatine District. Mm -hmm. And then next week on uh, October, make sure I get these dates right, October 15th, um, we're having uh, Bill McMillan. Um, he's a tinsmith, and he actually recreated a uh, primer pouch, a uh, tin box, and this box was found in the in the blockhouse dig of, in the 1760s on the Fort Plain Hilltop. And... The remains of this box were, were found, and we actually have it displayed with the one he recreated out in our exhibit. And he actually were, was able to take this, pretty much looks like a smushed piece of metal, and he was able to actually look at it, examine it, and he was actually able to take measurements to make his recreation. So it's mm. kind of neat. And so he actually gave a talk on tinsmithing in America. Then he also discussed, he's going to also discuss on how he you know, recreated the the uh, primer pouch that was found in, in the Fort Plain Blockhouse dig. Brian so Mack is uh, talking with us. He's from the Fort Plain Museum. Let's talk some about Fort Plain. You mentioned that uh, after uh, Fort Standwix was flooded, it, it became the major 
fort in that part of the Mohawk Valley? Yes. Um, well, this is the, the Fort Plain was pretty much built after the Cherry Valley Massacre. Um, it was pretty much a stockaded area, so refugees, in case of an attack from Canada, you know, they could take refugee in the fort for safety and, and what have you. And so that's Fort Plain came to be then. It really didn't have a name until uh, Van Rensselaer. There was, well, there was the August 2nd raid. I'll back up a little bit here. And then there was the August 2nd raid of the Canajahari District, which when you think of Canajahari, you think of the, the current-day village and town. Um, Canajahari actually encompassed not only that area, but all the way out to the Indian Castle Church. Out, I think it's Danube out towards Little Falls in that area. So that whole area, including Fort Plain and Minden and all that, was the Canajahari District. So on August 2nd, Joseph Brandt came down and they raided that area. They were going to attack the forts of the area, and they just pretty much wanted to, to lay waste to the land as they did in the other raids. And what happened was the militia was actually out. They were bringing supplies to Fort Stanwich, which was still in use at that time. So they were, they were bringing supplies to Fort Stanwich, and then that's when Brandt and them decided to attack those you know, the militia were away. So I guess they thought maybe it was easy pickings and... So they attacked several forts of the area. They burnt many homesteads and took prisoners and, and what have you. So based on that raid there, that's when General uh, Robert Van Rensselaer of the Albany County Militia came through the area. Um, they, he established his headquarters as for, at Fort Plain, which then they renamed the fort to Fort Rensselaer. So that's where the whole name confusion thing comes in because General Van Rensselaer makes that his headquarters. And then in October, mid-October, like October 19th or 17th, around that time in 1780, after the August 2nd raid, that's when Colonel, or, uh, yeah, Colonel John Johnson and Joseph Brandt and them are back, and they're raiding the area. There was the Battle of Stone Arabia and the Battle of Clocks Field. And at the Battle of Clocks Field, that's when General Van Rensselaer and the militia engaged Johnson. It was kind of like a running battle through the field. Then it kind of darkness came. Uh, John Johnson was able and and the British were able to escape over by uh, crossing the river at night, and they just pretty much headed back to Canada. So uh, General Van Rensselaer took some, uh, I guess he took heat for allowing Johnson to escape, you know, not necessarily his fault, but he was court-martialed, and then just pretty much the people in the area, you know, did not want the fort named after him, and, and that's where you get the fort plane and Fort Rensselaer name change going back and forth, because mm -hmm. really George Washington and them, and, and the um, Continental Army looked at it as Fort Rensselaer as the official name, but then the local inhabitants like to call it Fort Plain. And so, what yeah, Fort Plain, so then Fort Stanwix was flooded out, and and it was either 1780 or 1781, I don't have the, the exact date in front of me, but and then they were actually, there was Fort Herkimer, which if you drive out to Herkimer, there's the Fort Herkimer Church, it was like right in that area, it was Fort Herkimer, there was plans to actually build that fortification up, but they really didn't have the grounds, and and so they just decided it wasn't a good area, so they just let that fort be as it was, and then that's when they came back to Fort Plain and decided that was the location that they really wanted to build the fortifications. There was a French engineer who actually drew up plans, and they used bastions. Um, the blockhouse, which was actually separate from the stockade area, um, there was so they built a blockhouse, started it in 1781. They finished it in 1782. Uh, there was earthworks all through the whole hilltop area. If you're ever at our museum, we have a nice uh, guided uh, brochure that you can take, and there's a nice walking tour of the hilltop that will point out all these features where the blockhouse was, where the stockade area was, and, and what have you. Mm -hmm. 
We're talking with Brian Mack of the Fort Plain Museum. One thing about uh, the Mohawk Valley in the, the Revolution, or this is my sense of it, it's like it was a, a bad dream. I mean, the, the war never seemed to end. I mean, uh, in other parts of the country, you'd have Lexington and Concord, and then the fighting would move on. But in the Mohawk Valley, you, you maybe you'd, you'd drive off uh, uh, Joseph Brandt and John Johnson and their forces from Canada uh, one month, and but then a month or two later, they're back, or somebody else is back. Yeah, good point. And yeah, there was always that anxiety of whether, when were they going to come. So you had that, and then yeah, like you said, they were always constantly raiding. There was little raids here and there. There, you know, there's pretty much raids throughout. Um, you know, like the Cherry Valley Massacre and those raids in '78 uh, led to the Sullivan-Clinton campaign when the Continental Army went through what was called Indian Country out in western New York, and that's when they, you know, wanted to pretty much retaliate and, and you know, and pretty much. Sure. It over to the Indians. So they well, and again, it's good to point out. I mean, they, they the uh, Indians and the Canadians weren't the or the loyalists weren't the only ones raiding. I mean, this was done by quote unquote our side as well. Yeah, yeah, and there, yeah, there was raids. Yes, you know, and but yeah, there was more of the raids came from Canada than the British. But then, yeah, there was retaliation. There was battles and stuff. And yeah, the real retaliation was the '79 Sullivan Clinton campaign. Which yeah, they went through. Yeah, the Continental Army. They they raided Indian villages, and they pretty much, you know, wanted to. They wanted to make sure that the natives weren't going to come back and attack them. Which, you know, in the end, you know, they may have succeeded in, you know, really causing a hardship on the natives. But then they were still able to come back with, with the British and the loyalists, you know, in 1780, 1781. At a point, like you said, like the Battle of Yorktown happened in October of uh, 1781, and then a week later you had the Battle of Johnstown. And so it was constantly going, and, you know, news would travel slow those days, so they didn't know the war was, you know, that that battle took place, and there was the surrender of Cornwallis. But so you still had raids going on, and, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was back and forth. It was it was nonstop. And, and actually, uh, the last campaign, of pretty much the last campaign of the Revolution, 1783 in February, that's when General Washington was going to have uh, Colonel Willett and members of, like, the 1st uh, Rhode Island and, and other troops they were actually going to march up to Fort Ontario um, and actually try to lay siege on the fort and, and take it over. And it actually ended up being a failed mission because they kind of got lost at night and they were kind of kind of like, you know, surprise attack the fort. And by then they just kind of came back and nothing ever came about it. What so. was the interest? I mean, why was all this fighting taking place in the Mohawk Valley? I mean, and the answer to the question, I mean, I've always heard it's because it was an area that produced a lot of uh, grain, a lot of food for the uh, uh, Continental Army. Yeah, that's definitely one point. Um, you know, yeah, it was, they called it the breadbasket of the revolution between the Mohawk and Schoharie Valleys. So definitely during that 1780 raid, you know, Johnson, they went, you know, they came right down through Canada. They went right in the Schoharie Valley. They came up through Schoharie up the Mohawk Valley, just laying waste on what they could, burning buildings, barns, uh, crops. And so, yeah, that was, you know, that was definitely one reason. Other reasons could have been, you know, you had loyalists, you had family. It was it was pretty much a civil war in the Mohawk Valley. You had, you know, father and son fighting against each other. You know, you'd have a son that was a loyalist and a father that was a patriot. And, you know, the loyalists wanted to make sure they retained their, you know, their land holdings and their possessions. You know, meanwhile, New York State was confiscating anybody, any property of loyalists and, you know, handing it over to anybody that was on the patriot side. 
So I think you had that factor, too. You know, the Loyalists wanted to make sure they were able to come back to their homes, which, you know, unfortunately they weren't able to, and then they ended up all settling up in Canada after the war. Mm. Now, um, maybe to switch gears to talk about the, the business of tourism, if you will, uh, the uh, Fort Play Museum, uh, you, uh, Brian Mack, uh, and uh, your colleague Norm Bolin, you've done a lot to organize the sort of uh, disparate elements of American Revolution tourism in the Mohawk Valley. There's, there's really quite a, in addition to Fort Plain, there, there are quite a few other sites that people could visit, much as uh, people are more uh, prone to visit important uh, areas of the Civil War, like Gettysburg. Yes, yeah, actually, um, yeah, Norm Bolin and myself, um, you know, it's really Norm spearheaded the idea of really, you know, wanting to create an area you know, he, he, we actually compare it to, you know, when we talk about it and we kind of laugh about it, too, is we kind of compare it to Williamsburg. Now, we're not a huge conglomerate of nice, close, you know, walk down a nice mile stretch of nothing but historic sites. But nevertheless, we still got a lot of nice historic sites, like you were saying, that, you know, could really, you know, taking that Williamsburg idea and making one destination tourism area. And, yeah, in western Montgomery County, exit 29 off the New York State Thruway, you know, you have eight, you know, sites that are related to Colonial Rev War. You have Fort Clock, you have the Fort Plain Museum, uh, you have the Van Allison Homestead, you have the Nellis Tavern, uh, you have the Stone Arabia Churches, the Palatine's Church, um, there's the Isaac Paris DAR House in Fort Plain, and then there's also the Margaret Rennie Library who has a collection, and they have like an exhibit and collection of Rev War items down in their uh, exhibit room in their basement. So you have these really eight, you know, nice sites that, you know, you could really make a nice day out of it, and you can come and visit these eight sites and, you know, really get a feel of the history of, you know, the valley during that time period. So these other sites, or many of them, have joined with you in, in a consortium to promote uh, this tourism, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, part of the, yes. Um, yeah, part of it was getting everybody on board and, you know, just coming up with events and, you know, trying to get all the places open so that, you know, and then by promoting it all as one, you know, we looked at it, you know, the Fort Plain Museum, you know, we have new exhibits and people can come visit, but, you know, you come for a few hours, you know, you look around the museum, you walk the hilltop, and then by adding the other places, it gives other things to do and people can really make a nice weekend out of it. So that's why we really decided to group them all together and just work together. And, you know, during July, they did several, uh, several events, um, one of the events they did was a committee of safety meeting, which was actually held at the Van Allison Tavern at that time, and so they recreated that committee of safety meeting. Um, they also, uh, at the Palatine Church, in the beginning, I think it's right on page one or two in Drums Along the Mohawk, they talk about Gil and Lana getting married in the Palatine Church. So Norm came up with the idea of actually uh, recreating the wedding scene by uh, joining forces with Kyle Jinks and his Drums Along the Mohawk cast actually recreate that wedding scene so yeah you know so that so there was plenty of events and there was other things also going on that month that other sites were doing it was mm -hmm. pretty much just the idea of just trying to have something going on all those weekends and then that way there tourists from out of state or even locals can come and enjoy the sights and sound of, of the history of the valley and you've gotten some signage on the throughway right yes um, well that was through the path through history um I think it was like three years ago, that's when Governor uh, Cuomo started the Path Through History Initiative, which uh, really uh, got the ball rolling. And one of the things we did see out of it that, you know, I know we had, we were very grateful in our area 
was that the throughway signs um, yeah, definitely got up and the attraction signs so people knew what exit to get off and what museums were at that. So that definitely helped us out. Um, the Mohawk Valley region actually got together and created a really nice website and nice brochure and stuff like that as well. So a lot of good has come out of that. And unfortunately, it's kind of uh, it's a kind of an unfunded uh, program. So you know they still maintain the website and they print up some brochures, but that's part of the reason the Mohawk Country thing came to be because they really wanted to take that you know conglomerate of museums you know to the next level by really uh, promoting it hard and heavy in other areas like when you know we're looking at. Uh, commercials and you know some other avenues of promotion down the road and actually which led to one of the things that we did last year was the the uh, american revolution conference our first mm-hmm. annual and um so yeah that you know so that kind of led all to that and we just wanted to just get out there and promote all these sites and keep it going and just kind of pick up where after history left off yeah so that american revolution conference i i went to uh, the main sessions and we uh, covered it, if you will, on the Historian's Podcast. I mean, that was really first class. You had all these uh, scholars or, or history book authors, and um, not to demean the word scholar, but, I mean, they're interesting people. They they tell uh, great stories in their in their books, plus you had tours and, and so forth. It was really a, a first class of, uh, event that you organized. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for covering it, Bob. That was, actually, the authors thought that was great, how you interviewed them and and then uh, it was really well done, and we, we definitely thank you for doing that for us. And but yeah, getting to your point, yeah, it really uh, it it turned out we were just going to have one author come and speak on May second. Um, Don Haggis, uh, he did the book there on the last round of the Revolution, which one of the men served at Fort Plain. So we're going to have Don Haggis, and, and Norm and I went to the conference in Williamsburg in the spring, early spring, and just kind of got the idea of uh, you know kind of. Just thinking, oh, we can add a few more authors to this. We might be able to do like a nice little day out of it. And the next thing you know, we had six authors, and we were planning bus trips and and uh, our bus tours of the Mohawk country sites. And yeah, it just came together very nicely. And yeah, we had an excellent turnout. Uh, over 150 people from 12 states, uh, two provinces in Canada. Um, yeah, it was just and like you said, the six authors were you know they all had nice stories to tell. They were funny. They were informative, you know, definitely learned a lot and you know, really, you know, really kept people entertained throughout the whole, whole day. And there's always something new about the American Revolution, oddly enough. Uh, I, you and I have been chatting about this a fellow we had on the podcast a few weeks ago uh, from England, Nick Bunker, who focuses his book on um, the British in the, in the war, not necessarily even the British over here, but the British over there, you know, what we're what were they doing? And it's kind of fascinating when you think about, you know, here it was this uh, country that's starting to become a colonial power, and they lose uh, a good part of their early empire. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely a lot of different uh, topics and angles um, where books are being written about the revolution, and not just your, you know, Redcoats first patriots, you know, uh, you know, on the in the thirteen colonies. Um, there's actually a new book coming out in November. Um, written by, I'm probably going to say his last name wrong, but it's written by Don uh, Glickstein, I think I pronounced his name. But it's called After Yorktown, and he just pretty much focuses on all the battles after Yorktown. So he does cover stuff in the Mohawk Valley. He's covering stuff in other countries like India, um, the Caribbean, um, Mexico, all that area. So, yeah, like you said, there's different authors covering different areas of the revolution that even myself, who... 
you know, I'm really into the revolution that, you know, I don't really think about all that often. And, you know, that's where actually the journal, the American Revolution, comes in. The, uh, the online journal, uh, they pretty much put out a daily article on different topics of the revolution. And if you're really, you know, into the revolution or just history in general, that's a good site to go look at because they get into all those, you know, different stories like that. And they get, you know, actually several of the authors we had at the conference and that we're going to have at this upcoming year's conference. Uh, write for the journal, and, you know, they just write, you know, all these neat little stories, and, you know, there's personal stories, there's stories, you know, think about battles in Florida or, or in the Caribbean, and so, so yeah, there's there's a lot of neat topics being covered mm. now. We're talking with uh, Brian Mack of the Fort Plain Museum, Fort Plain, New York, and uh, you will have another American Revolution uh, conference in, in 2016, correct? Yes, correct. Um yeah, it's going to actually push the dates back a little bit because when we held it in the beginning of May, uh, our local sites weren't really even, you know, our museum. We weren't open for the season quite yet, so a lot of people really had to hustle and try to pull help together to open. So we actually pushed the dates back to June 10th through the 12th, uh, 2016. And we're going to change the format of the conference around a little bit. Um, we're actually going to have it be all day Saturday, uh, same times pretty much. And we're also going to go half day on Sunday. Uh, we're going to include an author panel discussion um, either at the end of Saturday or at the end of Sunday or possibly even at the end of both days so that we'll come up with like a topic and then the authors will discuss it and people in the audience will have a chance to, to chime in with their opinions or questions and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so we changed the format of the conference. We're going to push the bus tour to Friday, so the bus tour will pretty much be all day Friday. Uh, one of the things we're looking at doing, too, uh, last year we kind of held a a fundraising dinner, but it was only kind of limited to 20 people. So we're looking at doing something with that dinner at the Van Alliston home, uh, having uh, having it catered uh, as a colonial dinner, so there'd be colonial types food served. And then we kind of actually uh, thinking of trying to put together like a theatrical um, presentation of a committee of safety meeting, kind of like what they did last uh, July. And mm -hmm. so um, and so that would be part of the dinner. So whoever you know would come would be able to. You know, watch this presentation of a committee of safety meeting, and then enjoy a nice colonial dinner. Another, uh, maybe two things I want to commend you and the others at the Fort Plain Museum for. Number one, I get the sense that uh, the interest in the Fort Plain Museum arose from the people. I mean, people who lived in Fort Plain or knew about the museum. You kind of did this on your own, but and something maybe completely different. You're expert, or you're very well schooled in the, the technology of today. You use a lot of social media to uh, promote your activities. Well, thank you, Bob. Yeah, yeah to hit on your, first, or your second point here with the social uh, media, yeah, we found that to be really a, a good, useful tool. Um, uh, you know, it's free to have a Facebook page, so we, and then pretty much the way we just start uploading stuff. We use Twitter, but, you know, we don't use Twitter as much as Facebook. But, um, but yeah, we just upload pictures and articles and they also get our events out there to people and and with Facebook you know I could share it to a lot of groups so I find a, like a lot of history uh, war related groups that I share all our events to and people just pick that up and yeah it really it works wonders for us we also do email blasts um, that seems to work and you know people I get a lot of nice comments about our newsletters and stuff like that so um, yeah people really uh, yeah, really pick up on the social media thing. So that's been working very well for us and and, uh, and stuff like that. Mm. 
But the, the first point, I mean, is, it's, is it so, I mean, that um, the nucleus of the support of the Fort Plain Museum were, was kind of local uh, people who were just interested in history there? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, well, it's kind of funny how the museum started. It started in 1961 where, um, I forget the gentleman's name, but he actually helped with the whole creation of Fort William Henry in Lake George. And that's what they actually wanted to do with the fort and Fort Plain. They wanted to turn it into a tourist destination. So they envisioned the fort on the hilltop, just like you kind of see if you go to Lake George today. And mm. so I think after a year, that kind of fell apart. And that's when the local people, uh, I know uh, Wayne Lenning, our, our board of trustee, his father, Don Lenning, actually uh, pretty much they, they kept the museum going after the whole uh, that whole uh, tourism idea. I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. I've got to jump in. We're, we're just out of time. We're, we're talking with Brian Mack of the Fort Plain Museum, which features exhibits focusing on the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley. Thank you, Brian. You have a good day. Okay. Thank you, Bob.